This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me once again, as promised, this is what I love about this show, there is, we follow up on our promises, the amazing uh, and incredibly prolific freelance film writer who shares my surname, but we are of no relation for, she writes for Variety, The Rap. She knows Fresh Fiction TV. She's a member of the Online Film Critics Society. Um, Courtney Howard is joining me once again. And we did a meaty, meaningful scene in this movie. And together we unpacked Diane Venora as Justine and Al Pacino really going to town on each other in one of the most glorious, you know, um, grown-up people arguing scenes of all time. I think Courtney coined it. And now we're back again for... One of the most iconic lines of the movie, uh, which is Al Pacino saying, you can't watch my television, and revisiting our lovely friend Xander Berkeley, one person who is in both iterations of this film, one in LA Takedown, the TV version where he plays Wayne Grow, but this time he's been demoted to Ralph. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Courtney Howard. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be back. Like, I love a good closure. I love a good follow-up scene. And this is what we're here for today. So I'm super excited about this. And before we kick off, um, writers are recording this. Uh, when you guys listen to it, it's a little bit after we've recorded it. But I've just, for the first time, watched Den of Thieves. And, oh, my God. And hopefully by now you've listened to a bonus episode with Katie Walsh, another really talented uh, film critic and, and, and prolific writer in and of herself, um, who wanted to come and do a bonus episode where we talked all about it. But Courtney said, look, I can be your first bit of therapy for this. Um, so I'll just tack on a, a little, just wow, Courtney, wow, Den of Thieves, just before we dive into this minute. So did Katie, I can't remember if she reviewed it or not, but did she like it and... You no. guys were doing point counterpoint, or did you both not like it? No, I think she didn't like it. Um, I don't okay. know yet. That's that's as we're as we're recording. Just, the folks who are I just listening, want to know where I'm standing. The, here. the, the folks who are listening um, will know exactly what I've what what Katie thinks of it. I, I'm not 100 percent sure, and I've stayed away from checking out whether she reviewed it. I've just gone and checked it out uh, very recently, and uh, I just. <sighs> What, just, a, what a movie. What, what a movie. I think that's the that should be on the poster. What a movie. <laughs> what a movie, indeed. A movie you... happened and I watched it. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> yes. It's, um, uh, it's, it's something. Uh, it is definitely... It owes a lot of... I wouldn't say debt of gratitude, but <laughs> it uh, owes a lot to Heat because it's really what it wants to be. And that's like clear, but it's sort of like, here's where my snark comes in, but it's sort of like everybody took the wrong lessons from heat and <laughs> thought they could do it too and could not do it at all. And that's where I stand on Den of Thieves. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, I feel like Den of Thieves 
do you remember there's a great scene in The Wrestler where Mickey Rourke is like copping steroids from this huge mm-hmm. steroid fiend and you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, they're taking all this old crap like Anabol and all this. It's really disturbing. You don't know what, you know, you don't know what all the stuff is, but you know, they're just like juicing disgusting things that is just maintaining their body to actually stay alive to do the crazy mm-hmm. stuff that they do all the time. And I would imagine that guy retelling me heat is Den of Thieves. It is just <laughs> totally a steroid raged out, mm-hmm. unsubtle, just gr- it's just a grotesque version of the movie. Now, if I want to like elevate myself and be like somewhat classy and say, look, there are some phenomenal car chase scenes. There's one scene where Jared Butler isn't awful, um, and it's him standing, <laughs> and it's him standing on a beach. Um, uh, looking out to the ocean and these swirls like clouds of seagulls are there and it's sort of a very Michael Mannion apart from the whole movie which is basically taking trying to take every single play um, from a Michael Mann playbook um, but sort of looking out to the sea to the sublime sort of wondering what his purpose in life is or at least that's what you can sort of transpose yourself into that moment but I, I have had this is now the 132nd minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus Heat. And on the 100th episode, I had Dante Spinotti, who was the cinematographer, and he said something in his episode, not about Heat, just about Los Angeles in general, which is that it is one of the most effortlessly cinematic towns he's ever seen in anywhere in the world. Because he just said everywhere in Los Angeles looks like a movie. Like it looks classic. You've got these different locations, locales, cityscapes, sunrises, beaches, industrial areas. He's like, he, he goes, you know, maybe it's his influence of working with Michael Mann for five films or whatever it is. But he's like, I've worked in LA and just, you know, he's, even his most recent movies is like, you just look down a street and it just looks like a classic movie. There's just something about it that has been ingrained in us for, you know, 70, 80 years of productions coming out of there. So... I think you can't really shoot a bad L.A. crime movie. There's been so many. There's been so many, like To Live and Die in L.A., Drive, whatever. You know, you can count a million of them that are Mm -hmm. Chinatown outside of heat, you know, L.A. Confidential. Um, But it's like I think what this movie does is kind of falls into some really profound, beautiful cinematography a few times, which is probably its saving grace. But other than that, I was just... Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, you know, that scene in Ace Ventura where he chews gum and burns all his clothes. That was me after <laughs> watching Dead of Thieves. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you on showing a different side of L.A. that we normally see or that we haven't seen before. Um, that was one of, like, the second unit shots, I think, were sort of uh, sort of uh, elegantly captured. Yes. Um some of like the back alleys of Gardenia and Hawthorne and San Pedro. I mean, my local people will know that you probably won't, but um, they still didn't seem, they seem like they could get a little more run down, but maybe it's because they were sort of shooting in Atlanta for LA, yes. some of these scenes. So, uh, so that sort of played into it, but yeah, I agree. It's very much a super macho, <sighs> agro male sort of testosterone fueled uh iteration of heat and for me like i don't want to be crass and you can edit this out if you need <laughs> no to, please be crass please be every crass. every scene to me just felt like a dick measuring contest Absolutely. between male actors where it's just like oh i'm coming into the scene and i'm gonna be mean and try to rough up this guy and it's just gonna be all 
all this negative energy and really all it just came across is just this exercise and torture for the audience. (laughs) My goodness. I have like spent so many conversations with just random people when they say they like it. I'm like, really? Really? Yeah. I've, I've, I've been lucky for like six months or however long it's been out that people have gone, Oh, you're doing the one eight minute podcast. You've surely seen den of thieves. And I said, no, Mm-hmm. And they're like, you you know, if some people have gone, don't see it, it's just mm-hmm. don't see it. And then others have gone, no, it's actually pretty good. There's some good things in it. And, and look, there are a couple of saving graces, but I think, you know, for the most part, exactly what you said, the, the, the kind of um, – the great thing about Vincent Hanna is that he's got a lot of bluster and mania and he's mm-hmm. very forthright, but he's not bad at his job. Mm-hmm. Nothing he does tells you that this guy's bad at his job. Every mm-hmm. single move this guy makes, he's bad at living a life like a normal person. And mm-hmm. I think this is going to play into our minute now. He's bad at having a relationship. He's really bad at it. And he's mm-hmm. not the best husband. Um, and some of the best things about him is his protectiveness, you know, for Lauren, Justine's daughter, like his stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like That's all the good things about him. But he's never for one second bad at his job. And every single time I looked at Jared Butler's stupid face in this movie, <laughs> doing something ridiculous, like I'm like, mm-hmm. is this Abel Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant or Port of Call New Orleans from Werner Herzog and Nicolas Cage? Like it is, they're trying to be gritty realism and it's just a cartoon. And it's just mm-hmm. like, and it's like, you either have to go full cartoon and show me lizards on the ground, Port of Call New Orleans style, or just mm-hmm. like, get the fuck out. Like it's done. Like, and, mm-hmm. and this movie was like that. It, it, it was, I mean. He picks up a donut in a crime scene and eats it. Right. That right. should be and off. Then, that should be off. And, and no, then he stop. also yells at the guy, his like antagonistic uh, FBI agent or whatever about. Who kind of looks like, like Vincent Hanna, right? Yeah. And he's sort of like, how, I, I can't even verbalize right now how it gets to the point of <laughs> me remembering what sort of dietary restriction that guy is on. Oh my God. Like, why is he, why are they announcing he's a vegan and why do I need to know that? It's just layers of emasculation. Layers of emasculation. It's just, but it's also, it's all bullshit though. Like this is written by people who think this is how tough guys talk. Right. Right. Exactly. And, uh, and yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, look, let's, let's purge the grotesqueness yes. of <laughs> Den of Thieves and get to what is an affronting and confronting scene um, in One Heat, well, in Heat, um, and we're going to mm-hmm. cover it on One Heat Minute. Courtney and I are going to watch the second half because this one's actually really devastatingly split, this this two-minute sequence. Um, but hopefully you've listened to the Sean Burns app, which is coming up first, and now Courtney and I are going to unpack the 132nd minute of 170 minutes in heat uh, together, and you guys are going to listen along and probably have a little bit of a chuckle and be a bit slightly devastated, <laughs> and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to you all about it. Get to watch my fucking television set. Put the television set down. I never cheated on you, you bitch. Well, maybe you should have. Should have? The way you're part of this. Oh, yeah, I made Ralph fuck you because it makes me feel good. Our situation's absurd. Uh, look, maybe I should... Shut up, Ralph! Shut up! 
Well, why is it that I have to figure things out and explain them to you? What do you do? I say what I mean, and I do what I say. Mm, how admirable. You bet. Except none of it's about us. No. I may be stoned on grass and Prozac, but you've been walking through our life dead. And now I have to demean myself with Ralph just to get closure with you. I know you say it every minute, but like each of these minutes packs such a powerful punch. And there's so many things to talk about in the span of 60 seconds. Like I can't imagine being a film critic at the time this was released because how would I even limit my review to 800 to 1,000 words? You know what I mean? Or 500. Like, or 500. some things that we both yeah. file at places, it's 500. And it's like, <laughs> I don't even, you know, you, you do it in a sentence and then you just beg. You're like, look, this is the 500-word review, but my extended review is 15,000 words if you want it. Yes. Like it's- <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. So this is like one of those minutes and – as we were talking about it before, I love that it's such a sharp contrast because the movie feels like, and I think we talked about this before, the movie feels like it's sort of this uh, finding, Michael Mann is so good at finding these uniting factors of juxtaposition and this study of contrasts. Um, when you have scenes that follow like something like this, like the scene when we... Um, where we talked before where it was Justine and uh, Vincent talking like adults and having this enlightened conversation about the death and disillusion of their marriage. And she again brings up uh, that he walks among uh, the dead. Yes. She brings that, she brings that back again in this, but the following scenes are a more loving couple scenes and same with this one, like the next scene that follows this is uh, Edie is in the car while Neil and Nate are talking and they're planning like as one couple is sort of leaving each other in a lurch, uh, Justine and Vincent, we have this other couple who are planning on leaving together and starting their relationship together. So I love that everything sort of funnels into each other and everything is connected. Oh, yes. And it's it's what's great is... Um... What I started to notice, Court, and it's basically, mm-hmm. you've just nailed it, is the great echoes of these two characters, it's varying degrees of are they going to be honest with their like their programming? And mm-hmm. so right now, this is Vincent, this moment or these two minutes that we're, we're covering or two and a bit are really like, this is Vincent unfortunately getting the hardest truth about who he is. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. live in a relationship and to get closure, unfortunately, like to even get my attention when there's a crime, you know, the, when there's when there's a crook crew that I'm after, you know, my wife's going to have to do something pretty extreme. And whereas Neil's, Neil seems to be in La La Land or at least Edie is in La La Land and Neil is sort of in denial at that time that he's going to go – he's sort of feigning, like I'm going to go against my programming. I'm just going to get mm-hmm. out of here. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave Wayne Girl alive. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go. And so in these moments, you've got people that are at varying degrees of honesty with each other, but they don't need to say it. That's what's great about the craft of what you're talking about is mm-hmm. we know these guys are so alike. So that's why I think I'm starting to feel that Neil is so false in his relationship with Edie 
is because mm-hmm. I know what his programming is. And he's been telling us in the whole movie that that's what his programming is. So, like, every moment that he's like, yeah, we're going to run off together, you're like, no, you're not, Neil. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no way you're going to do no it. No way. There's yeah. no way you're going to do it. But let's get back to this beautiful minute that starts with <laughs> – so we have to we have to obviously lead in because there's a little bit of a dialogue that goes before, but it's like you can to paraphrase, you can bore my wife, you can you know lounge around on her on a on a lounge in her ex husband's dead tech postmodern bullshit house. But <laughs> so good where we start off, you cannot watch my television set. And what is so brilliant is that he fails miserably at like pulling the television out for the first like. <laughs> 10 to 15 seconds of this scene. It's mm. great. It's not perfect. He doesn't just pick it up and walk out the door. He just like sm- smashes it. It bounces around on the table a little bit. He unplugs it and then he gets it in his hands. It's such a great, it's, it's, it's perfect because he's angry enough to not smash it at that moment or not like go crazy, but he, he's, he struggles with it. And I love the struggle because mm-hmm. it feels so real, so authentic in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm curious if that was what take that number that was, yes. if it was just one and done, or if it was, you know, take number 15, oh, let me jostle this more, or, or how the evolution of that sort of scene came about and how it was going to play. Like, I would love to see a rehearsal of that yes. scene. Like, yes. the way Xander Berkeley just plays this is just, he is, his Ralph, poor Ralph is just like the roadkill by the end of the scene. He's this unwitting pawn in their like sick chess game. Oh, it's so the collateral good. damage of this toxic marital relationship. And he gets scolded like mercilessly <laughs> after he apologizes. He squirms. He starts like my favorite part is when he starts to say something. Oh, he starts to get up. Vincent, he starts to get yeah. up to leave, like slinking up. It's so yeah. he's quite a big dude. Xander Berkeley, right? He's usually quite a tall, broad, intimidating dude. And he gets up and he sort of slinks. He's got these oversized like night clothes on. He's trying to slink out the door. And Mm -hmm. it's like when he's when he gets in the middle of their like it's like they've got like a a sensor. When he gets into their sensor zone, they turn around Mm -hmm. and they both glare at him. And and Vince is like (laughs) <laughs> it's just the greatest Ralph sit down <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, I had to write it in the way that he said it because even in the um, closed captioning they have it just shut up comma Ralph but the way he says it is shut up period Ralph no. period sit down <laughs> it's just like his delivery is so you, you just can't beat it especially when he goes unhinged no, and it's he, like this calculated, unhinged, like there's such a precision there that it's just so fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. It's one. It, it's it's it, it's so good because, and this is the other part we're about to sort of feed into the the sort of second part of the the minute is he's never he's not what I think may, maintains Vincent's likability here. And Justine's is that they're still so civil, even though they're saying super mean shit to each other. Mm-hmm. He doesn't yell at Justine. He yells at Ralph. <laughs> That's a great part of this scene. He's like he just barks at Ralph, but Justine doesn't yes. cop it. She's she yeah. He he'll say mean shit like I never cheated on you, bitch. Like he might mm-hmm. say that, but he's not. He's never he's never raising his voice and going hysterical. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell that the TV is such a displacement. Like he's displacing. 
oh. a physical object. And I guess that's better, but it's still not great. <laughs> yes. So yeah, uh, I don't know if you and Sean talked about the art behind Ralph, but it looks like it's a panel of this chalk drawing of a guy in a white collar shirt sort of on his hands and knees. We only sort of see half of it. And the pose sort of seems like it could go either way of like it might be sort of this loving like thing or it could be like a complete submissive pose sort of echoing narrative of Ralph having to be submissive now to Vincent, I guess, in a way as far as their masculinity goes. Maybe I'm dissecting it too much. No, you're not. Like, you're not because there's a great scene right at the very beginning of the film where Justine is descending the staircase and she's reading the mm-hmm, paper mm-hmm. and it's after she's dosed herself with Prozac for the first time and she walks down and there's a piece of art of someone who looks like they're mm-hmm. driving on her left in the frame who's not looking yes. straight ahead. And I think that I, right. I, I, I do not think that anything like that is an accident in this movie. The picture, I did notice that part and I was wondering if there were, I did rewind the movie to see if there were other panels around the house that I had missed, and there's one right after, I think, Vincent goes and showers. There's one upstairs of a woman laying down in bed where it's sort of echoing that, too. But I don't know. I'd love to talk to the production designer and ask them about those decisions of how the house is decorated like that and if that was something, because Justine seems like a very artsy person and maybe she drew the chalk drawings or something. I don't know. That would be interesting. I wonder about Justine because you don't really hear much about what her profession is. Yes. Right. Right. But it seems like there's a lot of like arty, artsy kind of things around. So it seems like either she's just, maybe she's a bored housewife that collects artwork or maybe (laughs) she is an artist. Like we don't really know. Um, but yeah, I guess we should get back on track, but, uh, the art behind Ralph seems to be fairly significant since it sort of echoes his current state of vulnerability, I guess, and submissive behavior when it comes to Vincent and yelling at him to sit down. Um, <laughs> and I love your new but, print pronunciation of sit down has to be the double. It's like the double D version of sit down. Yeah. It's sit down. <laughs> It's so great. But (laughs) she then gets to do that sort of secondary evisceration. I told you. Mm -hmm. I told you that this was going to happen. And I have to demean myself with Ralph. What a lie. Mm -hmm. I have to demean Mm -hmm. myself with him just to get closure with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty big. It's huge. And I love Vincent's like, oh, yeah, I I like that Ralph. (laughs) What does he say? It's like, I like that Ralph fucked you um, because it makes me feel good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just such a it's one of those like great uh it's the great time where vincent is having a lot of bluster that's actually mm-hmm. sort of diffuses the situation and allows you to sort of have a, a brief chuckle um because it is pretty intense emotionally intense in this moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the lighting on the scene too um sort of going back to the former scene with them together like the hour before where it's in this afterglow of like restaurant hours where they're in, they're all sort of dressed in black or whatever and fading into the background. But there's this glow with the lighting where it's sort of warm and they're having this 
sort of adult conversation and adult approaches to how their marriage is dissolving. Whereas now it's in this, it's in this like sobering daylight, uh, this diffused daylight where the lighting is gray, it's dreary, it's cold. Uh, That's how their argument is. There's none of this warmth that we got from before. It's this sort of, this light on their ugly realization that their marriage isn't working, you know? And the, and the fury or the different lighting is actually coming from like literally, um, Pacino's complexion mm-hmm. because he's like angry and you see, mm-hmm. you see, he's got that, you know, he's sort of got all his skin and he's like, and you can see the red in his face. And Justine is very sort of just like, she's very washed out in this scene as well. Very super calm. Um, Xander Berkeley's complexion matches the scene to, you know, great. Like everything's, wa- as you said, everything's washed out. Um, and yeah, this this home, which has also been pretty starkly lit in the evenings, um, doesn't have any of the warmth that was there on that first day. It's like you said, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's, I don't know, it feels almost like we're viewing the hospital that we watched at the beginning of the film. And um, mm-hmm. it's it's very gross and, 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 and there's no glamour about it whatsoever. It's like this is this is as unglamorous as it gets. And then once Vincent even calms down, he retreats into this same sort of feeling. But it's, yeah, the mood of this scene, I think it's, re- you know, I don't think things are lost on Michael Mann or in the structure of this movie. Around an hour after we see them, you know, pretty significantly, like an hour after Justine attempts to revitalize their relationship, it's not quite left in death but she's pretty much sure that it's going to go it's like without that closure happening as quickly as vincent would have it in this in the timeline of this movie an hour later we're reminded after vincent has shown you know his aptitude for hunting these guys down and 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 finding them and then going through this huge heist Mm -hmm. he's got to go home and and he's like this part of my life isn't going to get any better no matter what heroics i do outside Mm -hmm. of it Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's very important to sort of clock where he's been at this point, like he's put his life on the line. Like he was in this huge shootout downtown and he has had to go into like the lair of these bad guys and take down these bad guys too. And, um, so like that's where he's been and now he's got to come home and fight these battles and he's just, you know, exhausted, but still angry, but you know, exhausted. So it's like, have to you like you were saying before you see both of their sides and there's no bad guy here the bad guy between them is the fact that they can't make this work and that one of them has things that aren't being met by the other person and vice versa it's the same sort of problem that they're encountering and they can't figure out a way to sort of unblock that communication and there's no winning, like nobody is a winner. So there's no one who is like you were saying more likable or less likable. They're both sort of on the same plane. Yeah. I I just remember, you know, and not to take it only to take it back to den of thieves at the beginning of our conversation is, is form of contrast is in den of thieves. They kind of flip the Vincent and Justine relationship with his wife who they've got kids They've got two Mm -hmm. kids together and make him the sort of cheating, disgusting, Mm -hmm. bloated sleazebag. And Mm -hmm. in that scene, you hate Gerard Butler. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care. If you like Gerard Butler in a scene, you need therapy now. Like you need to go. (laughs) 
<laughs> just sort it out um, because there's something dark that's happening in your psyche. But like in that moment, he's grotesque. He's like a pig. He's leaving his beautiful little girls and he's going on and living this stupid life. And there's no explanation about him living on the edge or there's no explanation about him being out to have to do something that's qualitative for, for the purposes of the investigation. And so in this scene, as a contrast, while everything's decaying, they're so like they're not they're not treating each other with disrespect. Like it's something disrespectful has happened, but Mm -hmm. Justine's hour long ago forewarning in the, in the time of the movie, but probably several days ago in the, in the, in the actual Mm -hmm. temporality of the film, you know, this is a warning. Like I need you to let me go. And I know that you won't let me go. You'll just let me sort of suffer and we'll live this weird protracted existence until I do something that's extreme. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. I don't have much to add outside of that either. But yeah, yeah. And uh, I love. (laughs) I I love. Oh no, that's okay. That's okay. I was just going to say, there's one. There's when you see it's like 13 seconds into the minute. Mm-hmm. it's a great contrast to have just watched the first 13 seconds where Ralph is terrified, like reeling around in his chair, like Hank Azaria is, you know, in his interrogation and watching mm-hmm. Justine sort of smile and laugh at Vincent struggle with the television. She's like, don't be ridiculous, put the television mm-hmm. down. And like, so she's not scared. So it's even more like you got to feel bad for Ralph, right? Do you feel bad? <laughs> Do you feel bad for poor Ralph with these two people who are su- with such sophistication and such awareness are like just destroying their marriage? And poor Ralph's just they got the front row seat. He really doesn't want to be there. Yeah, poor I. You know, he is the unwitting participant in this like awkward sort of audience of seeing them bicker and take passive aggressive swipes at each other and seeing this hurt go on on both sides. And he's like, Whoa, I did not expect any. <laughs> no, no. Poor Ralph but thought he yeah. was getting a one night stand with a beautiful lady and he comes home and gets abused by Vincent Hanna, which is not, which is not, <laughs> not, wasn't a high on his priority list based on that. Um, just yeah, for, I for, mean, for guys who love the intimidation factor when Vincent just moves forward <laughs> and like Ralph just goes back in his seat. He's just squirming and, you know, Vincent makes a very aggressive move because at that point he's already, you know, he's, he's making these moves where it's like, Oh shit, this guy, I just, you know, screwed his wife. Like what's he going to do? And, and um, the, the camera framing is so huge there because it's like, mm-hmm. it's actually from, it doesn't even look like it's shooting from where Ralph's face is. It's more like where his navel is, you know? So mm-hmm. you've got Vincent like towering over him, like in that chair mm-hmm. and leaning in closer and closer. And he's just being squashed down like a bug. And so then, and, 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 and we're still watching him wrangle with the television from that perspective when he wrestles with it afterwards. But it's like that great thing. You don't need to see Pacino's face as he wrestles with the TV. It's almost cooler that you're only seeing his hands and being frustrated totally. trying to unplug it. It's, it's really great. Totally. Mm-hmm. In the Agreed. 19th second of this minute is that same frame from when she's descending the stairs, this person who looks like they're driving and not looking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head again there too, where it's the, she's sort of driving along her life, but she's not really looking at the road and seeing, you know, both of them. There's a reason why they both probably like that artwork in some shape, in some fashion where like, uh, you know, it both echoes their mindsets and their psyches. And 
I think Justine here as well, there's another line of dialogue we haven't talked about yet that I just checked through my notes and I wanted to talk about was the line where he says, I say what I mean and I mean what I say, which is such Mm -hmm. like a 19, I want to say like a 30s, even 40s, you know, um, you know, great, you know, black and white detective line. That's probably, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be said to a dame with such meaning. And she, she just completely undercuts it with this glorious, like smug smile, like, Hmm, how admirable. Like, she yeah. just, like, she's just, like, oh, this is how much I give a shit about your professional ethos right now. Like, uh, and she's, I, she's had enough. She's oh. like, you know, like she says, she's stoned on weed and Prozac or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, she's dead outside. She's dead inside. You know, she's, he's, he's walking among the dead, literally. Like, she's, she's all gone. So, yeah, she's got nothing left but her wits now. <laughs> So she's going to be snarky. And boy, <laughs> is it a wit. The snark from her is almost stronger than anything we could have said about Den of Thieves. Look, Courtney Howard, this has been another a, a, a great pleasure to talk with you for another minute of heat and uh, and to talk to you for another, you know, grown adults. Uh, your favorite, what is your favorite subgenre? It's like adults, you know, arguing uh, respectfully. Married, married people, married people fighting. Married people my... fighting. <laughs> That's my jam. So I am so happy that I was able to come back and talk more about yet another little argument between two iconic couples in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I would just say, um, if you don't already have like a letterbox list of married people fighting, like I think the people of this show, including the host, <laughs> demand it because I want to subscribe to it because the growing list of great married people fighting movies, I mean, Heat is in there. So um, I'm really happy. I would love to see what else goes in there on your epic list. Um, yeah. You know, we talked about last time, Blue Valentine, etc. Um, the worst first date movie of all time. Um, and I can say yes. that as a firsthand experience. <laughs> but um, look, uh, Courtney Howard, Guys, you can find um, Court. The best place um, to find Court is on Twitter, um, at Lula Maybell, and you can link off to her Rotten Tomatoes to see how many goddamn reviews she writes. It's scary. Um, and <laughs> um, and all of her other great stuff that's uh, around at places like uh, the Variety, The Rap, She Knows, Fresh Fiction TV. Um, but check her out there. Court, is there anything else that you want to plug um, or need to plug before we let you go? And, and thank you again for your, for being a part no. of the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being on this super fun podcast. I love just going in and dissecting more, and I can't wait to hear more from the show because there's still a lot more minutes left, so I can't wait. What are you going to do when it's over? What are you going to do with yourself? I'm going to stand there holding the dead body of Neil McCauley at an airport and feel empty. Like this is your obsession. Has has this come home where your wife has been like, you're obsessed with this podcast, and you're like, yep, it's fitting. <laughs> yeah, look, I think my wife has done a great thing. She knew I was obsessed with this film before the podcast, so the podcast is just like <laughs> an, a reaffirmation of that claim. It's like, well, maybe at the end of it, he'll be done with this movie. Um, so I think she's just letting me go for two years on, on like, this, she's just letting me go. He's, he needs this, uh, this two year project. No, look, uh, I do kind of know, I do kind of know what I would like to do at the end. And I will tell you off air, Courtney, while people are mm-hmm. listening, um, uh, without being recorded, but you know, yeah. I, I really want to focus on, uh, 
this has been the most, and thanks to people like Courtney and the amazing guests and just every single person who's listening and reaching out, this has been the most creatively fulfilling thing that I've ever done because we together in a, in a time where like there are tweet reviews or even Courtney and I talked about 500, 800 word filings for reviews, you know, this is an opportunity to really unpack a, a piece of cinematic art that's like got an enduring it's got enduring value. And so then getting to have great conversations with people like you, Court, and all the other guests as well have just been so it's been just unbelievable. I can't I can't say enough great stuff about it, but uh, I'll miss it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do. When I hear my, God's, you know, moving over the face of waters by Moby, I don't the, the answer to your question, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a mess. Yeah. I'm going to be a mess. Yeah. yeah. I can only imagine like I mean, this is a huge super clever project and and like you said so creatively filling like I guess you just got to keep dreaming bigger and maybe do, maybe you're going to go through Dennis Thieves next. No way. That is a hundred percent not happening. Imagine, imagine if you inspire somebody to do it. Look, Dennis if I inspire Thieves. someone to do Den of Thieves, I'll happily go on their show. I'll happily go on their show. So if you're listening and you want to do a Den of Thieves minute, I'm in. Okay. Den of minutes, minute of thieves. It's all yours. Take it. Right. It's fine. Fine. <laughs> You can, you can, to- I, and I will, I will guest on that show too. And but Courtney I and I will guess it. together. So, like, make sure yeah. that you do a joint one. We'll come on together, and then we'll go on separately. But we'll, <laughs> it would, I'm more than happy to be a part of the show. However, I will absolutely not do it. And also, a couple of people have asked. A couple of people have asked. Um, mm-hmm. Would I do another Michael Mann movie? Mm. Good and question. The, and which is a great question. And right now, I'm going to say no. And that's not mm. because I don't love Michael Mann. In fact, like probably in my top 10, there are three of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel like uh, I've been lucky enough to talk about my favorite film of all time with this project. Um, and I just know that there are other great man experts in the world that have got favorite films. Like the Bilga Ibiri Black Hat Minute podcast, I'm in. Right, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, he's probably the most famous person in the world who's obsessed with that movie, and uh, and then you've got like Mike Vanderbilt, um, who who writes um, for the Daily Grindhouse, who's a man a manhunter obsessive. Like let let those guys and or gals in the universe that love Michael Mann movies be 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 there for those ones. I don't want to be greedy and and take up all the mm-hmm. the great stuff. I I've, I feel like I've talked enough. By the end of a 170-episode podcast project, I think I've talked enough about him uh, to let other folk have another turn. But I'll happily be yeah. a guest on their show. I think you should be. <laughs> I, I think this has sealed the deal that if ever there's some sort of Michael Mann show happening, you need to be a guest on it. Well, that's really nice. I, I definitely, I'll definitely, um, I'll definitely put my hand up and say I'm around for guest spots on Michael Mann podcasts from now into into the future, <laughs> um, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another One Heat Minute. It's been a pleasure. Courtney, thank you as always for all your support and encouragement and uh, for being on the show a second time. This has been amazing. You've been back as promised. Guys, this has been another episode of One Heat Minute. And just remember, you know, if um, if you find a guy in your wife's dead tech postmodern bullshit house, just don't let him watch your TV. But don't be, don't be you don't have to raise your voice to your wife about it. You, you can just walk out of there classy with your TV under your arm and, and yell at him for a little bit. We'll catch you in another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.